No, I didn't know it, but that is the perfect piece as we go into Genesis. Because, I mean, as Rick was playing, you have that constant rhythm, and there is such a rhythm in creation. Isn't there that constant, all those constants? And then Claire dancing on top of that constant rhythm is perfect for the fact that what we're going to hear are words around creation and where God comes in in both those rhythmic and dancing kinds of ways with differing roles. So listen to this as Shannon reads. From Genesis. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. God created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that God had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that God had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Now, as we prepare to hear the gospel, again, with the music in mind and the constants and the rhythms, the dancing at the top, here we have that familiar story of Mary and Martha. I mean, I, I wanna, I, I'm tempted to ask, which one of you see yourselves as Mary? Okay, I won't go on. Uh, <laughs> And which see yourselves as Martha. Look for that key phrase in the midst of this scripture has something to do with distractions. From Luke's gospel. Please rise as you are able for the reading of the gospel. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet And listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all of the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, 
Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Shannon. God is a man. Oh, <laughs> I won't mention the certain figure out in the narthex who raised his hand on that one. <laughs> oh, my heavens. Matt, we need to talk. <laughs> For so many Christians, even today, that is the absolute truth. That God, in fact, let's pause for the blue angels. <laughs> Speaking of manly men. That God is a man, masculine, muscular, a human-like male. God is perceived as the ultimate fatherly disciplinarian, absolute head of his Hebrew and Christian household, and is the dominant one who gives and takes, loves and directs, as any good male Jewish father would do. Brian McLaren called God in at least one understanding as that distant patriarch, far away and yet overseeing and controlling all things. But then there's Jesus, and Jesus was what gender? You should see the perplexing looks on your faces. Okay, guys, Jesus was a man. It reminds me of children's sermons where you're going off on some direction, you know, and you're describing something with a fuzzy tail and a little cute and little paws that go like this and, and make sounds like, and the children all say, because they know the only answer in a children's moment is, <laughs> thank you, John. <laughs> oh, I have missed you all so much. You notice there are no daughters in this holiest of families. You can put Mary in there if you want, but really as you look at the whole kind of leadership team of Christianity, it really is about men. Even in the Old and in the New Testament until you look deeper. I, I shared, I've shared with you before that I come from a community down in Auburn where about 80 to 90% of the pastors would gather around and pray for the souls of all United Methodists. Because women should not preach, they would say. Women do not belong in positions of leadership. So says the scriptures. And the fact that, that a woman followed me, pastor followed me in Auburn, was of deep, deep concern. For those pastors in Auburn, I just smiled and nodded. Perception perspective. These things are phenomenally powerful things inside of each of us. Now hold on to that for just a moment. As I've shared last week, I had an absolutely unbelievable privilege of spending a lot of time with two world-renowned authors, Diana Butler-Bass and Brian McLaren. And if, if you're not familiar with them, I, I will tell you one of the things that we did on the Tuesday night was we opened this up in a public forum where, where Brian and Diana and uh, Mark Whitlock, who is a pastor of an AMEZ church down in L.A., the fastest growing church in L.A. right now, all very open and accepting church, unheard of for an AMEZ church. 
um, and gather in the largest venue that they could find in Claremont, California, and probably seated four or five hundred. By it was to start at seven, and by about six forty, it was packed. By six fifty, there wasn't a spot on the walls because it was standing room only then. By about 5 to 7, they began turning people away, and, and literally, I, I don't know, 100 or more people were turned away from the doors. Everybody wanted to hear these two and add Mark to that. And we got to spend 60 hours with them, 60 hours in intimate conversation of pushing and prodding, and, and uh, not only with Brian and Diana, but also with each other as, as pastors and staff from 12 western states just over 50 of us in that room for those 60 hours. It was phenomenal. It was life-changing. I, I will tell you that. It was life-changing for me on so many perspectives. My understanding, for instance, of Scripture changed, particularly with Brian, who absolutely believes that Scripture has to be at the foundation of everything that we do. And particularly on Sunday mornings or at worship services, we have to be spending time in that book unwrapping scripture because it is, as he would say, the most misunderstood book on the planet right now. And it's time to help reinterpret this book for a whole new population who don't understand, who still believe in many cases that it is a judgmental, heretical, almost book that means absolutely for not, nothing to them and is not relevant at all for the work of, in neighborhoods and communities today. My perception of the role of scripture in worship has changed. My perception of God has been going through transformation throughout this year. I will never any longer simply go, call God Father. I can't. It's way too limiting. God is creator. God is one who continually seeks to sustain and direct and move and motivate. All of us has grown. God is too large to be contained in a gender. Even as you look deeper, the biblical writers didn't contain God as male. That's why we have to have a much greater understanding of Scripture and how it needs to be read today. For instance, the Holy Spirit, which is talked about in God, and particularly in ancient Aramaic, is not referred to as male. Males cannot produce. They cannot create. That word is gendered and is female. Even God's breath is done in the feminine. I examine Jesus as God personified, God in the flesh, and and I've, that has all gained enormous strength for me. And the stories of his words and actions as found in Scripture has taken on absolutely new meaning for me. And hopefully will for us at Aldersgate. And particularly as we head into this new program year. And even more importantly, as we head into this next series, where you will hear the voices of five different women bringing their perceptions of God each week. One per week and then... On September 16th, a group of women, every various ages, who will talk about that from their perceptions. Very excited about that. That will be one service on September 16th to celebrate the beginning of our new year. I mean, the other thing, as you look at Scripture, if you think about it, how many of the responses given by Jesus are given to women? I mean, think about the enormity of the responses. The woman at the well, the woman bleeding for 30 years, Mary and Martha, you just heard about. 
the woman caught in adultery, woman after woman, women become that voice of definition that Jesus utilizes to help redefine the gospel narrative to a different population. And if you think about the many responses, we also have to understand the role of women in that time. It's so important that we do that. I'll get to that in just a second. The other thing I want to share with you is, as I looked over the past year and I kind of looked at the sermon series that I'd preached and realized how much time I'd spent on kind of us as an organization or as a church, I'm not going to do that anymore. What I want to look at now is us as disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, trying to bring that message to not only our neighborhoods, but our communities, even the world. This world is in such significant need of conversations around what Jesus brings through the scriptures. So the whole organizational piece in worship ends today. It ends today. The other piece of this next upcoming series is the other realization that 95% of the time I preach and you listen, at least most of you. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. And for these next five or six weeks, I want to hear your perspectives. Thus, these women who are bringing significant amounts of the message on each of these Sunday mornings. I want to hear, unless you believe that these women are bringing the same perspective, hold on to your hats. They are not. But what they're going to do is paint a much broader picture for us of what responses to God may be. One other piece of the Brian McLaren and Diana Butler Bass that I'll bring today, one of the things that Brian hammered home to the 35 of us who are in that room who preach every Sunday This just took my breath away. He said, your sermon is absolutely not complete until you allow people to respond to it. And those responses need to come in a variety of ways. Set up post kind of uh, church events where people can respond to the messages. Set up times even between services where those coming in can hear the introduction and those leaving can respond to the message. It does not come home. It does not settle into our hearts by just listening to it, or even seeing any aspect of it on a screen. It comes into our hearts when we have the ability and the opportunity to articulate our feelings about what that pastor may be saying. Believe me, there will be a whole lot more opportunities for that. It's an exciting time, and I am so looking forward to this year. you got to know, last year was examination time. This year is now we make some shifts. And I'm going to say that to you unapologetically. It's time to re-examine who we are, what we are, where we're headed as a church. It's time. And again, that begins today. I want to talk briefly about Mary and Martha. Two of my favorite characters because there's probably not anyone in this room that can't relate to these two. You know, no one who, who, who looks at this and says, well, it's, that's me or that's me. I, we, we do. We look at this. And, and I want to ask you, okay, just in your mind again. You don't have to raise your hands. Okay, raise your hands. How many Marthas do we have in the room? Okay, Laura Walls and Martha. That's good to know. I'm looking back here. Here's Renee. Okay. How many? Okay, over here we got a couple. Mary's? Okay, more Marys. Aaron, you're a Mary. This is good. Okay, this is good. Now let me talk a little bit about these two and why this is such an incredible story. We miss it if we don't know kind of the cultural norms of the time. 
First, we have to understand the role of women in this time. There were two roles, and two roles alone. You ready? Bear male children and serve your men. You should see the guys are all going, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm liking that second one particularly. Yeah. I'm going to talk to John Salwachter after worship. But, um, <laughs> but it is. Those were the only two roles. I mean, those were the key roles for women at that time. And we better understand that if we go into this story. Second, only men were allowed in the synagogue, and particularly the innermost portions of the synagogue. Only men. The women had to stay on the outside and try and listen through the columned walls. Only men were allowed to sit at the feet of teachers. Only men. Because, I'm sorry, what were the two roles of women? Bear male children and serve your men. You know, I begin to understand why the, why the pastors of Auburn really like this perspective. So then here walks Jesus into this household. And here's Martha, right? And what's Martha doing? She's serving the men. Isn't this correct? Isn't this the right thing to do? And she's so upset that Mary is now preparing to sit at the feet of Jesus, oh, by the way, which is absolutely forbidden and unheard of, that she tattles. Anybody in this room ever tattle that way? Oh, Aaron's hand just immediately went up. Aaron, I love you. I just want you to know I missed you so much. And the, the, the brothers are looking down. They're going, yeah. Yeah. She tattles. She goes to Jesus and says, can't you say something to my sister? Can't you explain to her how the culture works? And what does Jesus say to her? I mean, what does any parent who wants to kind of discipline their child, he doesn't just say her name once. Here's a key. Martha. Martha. You are... What was that D word? Distracted by many things. And then he points at Mary and says, she's the one who is doing the important thing. She's the one who is breaking the cultural norms. She's the one who is taking this on. She's the one who wants to learn from me. She's the one who you think it's all about devoted service. That may be one element. It is all about devoted learning as well. And it's Mary who is sitting at the feet. And it's Jesus who is turning this cultural norm absolutely upside down. I keep wondering if my friends at Auburn are reading a different gospel. I don't know how you miss that. Why is it that we continue to seek to, in scriptural terms, subjugate women? How can they possibly see the gospel narrative in such a completely different way as to what Jesus is proclaiming there? And that begs the question for each of us, doesn't it? Two things. What's distracting you? What's distracting you in such significant ways is that you no longer sit at the feet of Jesus. 
What are those things that are occupying your mind and your heart and your soul that are preventing you from being devoted to learning? And I would say for every single one of us in this sanctuary, there are those things. There are those things. The second question is, how do you understand God? How do you understand God? How does God work for you or in your life? How do you see this creator of the universe? Well, let me help us with that as I close. Listen again with a few tweaks of words as I read the Genesis scripture out of the common English version of the Bible. God said, let the earth produce every kind of living thing, livestock, crawling things, and wildlife. And that's what happened. God made every kind of wildlife, every kind of livestock, and every kind of creature that crawls on the ground. God saw how good it was. Then God said, let us make humanity, accurate translation, in our image to resemble us so that they have responsibility, accurate translation, for the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on earth. So God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image of God, God created them, male and female, woman and man, God created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. God saw everything God had made, and I love this phrase. And it was supremely good. It was supremely good. There was evening and there was morning of the sixth day. The heavens and the earth and all who lived in them were completed. And on the seventh day, God rested. God blessed that day and made it holy. And this is the account of the heavens and the earth and how they began. So friends, this is that day where we set aside time to examine it all. This is the day when we set aside time to study biblical characters like Mary and Martha, the day when we examine our lives and set alongside theirs. This is that day where we seek to continually create a safe place to explore our faith and how we might live lives and create change that accurately reflects what we see in Jesus. This is that day where we come together to be motivated to go out from these doors and share that love and joy and hope and grace with a world that so desperately needs it right now. And notice, in the narrative of Genesis, God doesn't elevate man over woman. Sorry, guys. That's not what this says. That's not what this says. Both are of significant, sacred worth and were created, as are each of us, supremely well. So do you see yourself in that statement, that you were created supremely well? I hope so. And now as we prepare to serve one another, maybe once again recognize that in the eyes of God, in the eyes of God, Gentile or Jew, slave or free, woman or man, no more. We are all of sacred worth, all creations of a loving God. And this morning, I now pass the baton for the completion of this message to Shannon Hamrick.
So what, God is ta- what Brad is talking about is God's world, God's kingdom, God's reign of love on earth. And in God's reign, there is room for everyone at the table. All have something to contribute, and all reflect God to some greater or lesser extent. In God's reign of love, all people are united in the body of Christ. And even so, there is a whole lot of room for varying perspectives and understandings and reflections of God. In fact, diversity is part of what makes the body of Christ complete. So the more open we are to who God is and to varied perspectives and understandings of God, the more we can move into the fullness of love and the grace of God. Hearing a perspective that's, that's different from what we're accustomed to, if we have an open mind, can help us to re-examine our own beliefs and our own experiences of God and therefore strengthen our faith. It's also one way to allow God to challenge us And God can challenge us, let me tell you, and push us a little bit out of the boundaries of the box that we hold God in, even if it's just a little bit. As our God box gets bigger, our relationship with God becomes richer and deeper, and God's reign of love and our fullness of life becomes realized more and more right here and right now. We experience God more deeply And we therefore share God more meaningfully with those around us. I have a friend who is an administrator at Perkins School of Theology at SMU. She recently told me about a thesis paper one of the Master of Theological Studies students wrote that challenged the professor's understandings of God through Jesus' life and actions. Lena is a native of the Kingdom of Tonga, and in her culture, the women are exclusively the ones who prepare and serve all food, all the time, for all occasions. Even if a man throws a party that only men attend, women in his family will prepare the food and serve it at the party. Women are the only ones who serve food. So from her cultural perspective, Lena imagined what it might have meant for Jesus, a man, to break the bread with his disciples and serve it to them. A man serving bread? Unheard of. In the breaking and the serving, Jesus is taking on the role and characteristics of a woman, a feminine act, and very countercultural. Jesus, the Christ, embodying the features of a woman servant as he once again reflects God to his disciples. Jesus, reflecting a feminine God. While Lena draws largely on her own culture and her biblical interpretation, it's not so far-fetched to imagine, given the roles we know that women and men held in ancient Jewish culture. And Brad just spoke to that. And also given what we read about how Jesus turned cultural norms and expectations on their head in order to reveal who God is with us and for us. Sometimes God shows up 
in unexpected ways. And when we allow ourselves to be challenged and stretched, our experience of God can be profound. United Methodists understand communion as a means of grace, meaning that when we come to to the table, God meets us there in grace. Sacraments are always opportunities to receive God's grace once again. I had an experience several years ago that, that pushed on the limits I placed on God's grace. I was in line to receive communion when I realized that the woman who would be serving me bread was someone I didn't care for. Not only that, she was someone I didn't respect. And even more than that, she was someone I didn't trust. And she was serving communion to me. So what do I do? I thought about changing lines and receiving communion from someone I was more comfortable with. And then I remembered that communion is God's act. It is a time to receive from God. The woman before me was a reflection of God and there to offer me a bit of God's grace. So I took a deep breath and I settled myself down and I prayed that God would open my closed and judging heart. I prayed myself step by step right up to her. And when she handed me the bread, I knew that I was taking, both literally and spiritually, taking in God's incredible and abundant and loving grace from a very unlikely source, which broke open my spirit once again, making even more room within me for God to dwell. My God box grew a little bigger that day, and the bread and the juice filled those newly expanded spaces. Communion is a means of grace. But I have to ask myself today, right here, right now, am I open to receiving grace from an unlikely source? Are you? What if God stood before you in the image of someone you didn't like? What if God came to you in the form of a woman serving you and loving you and extending grace to you? Are you open to receiving that God? Would that encounter enrich your relationship with God? Or might it shut you down with disbelief? Can you imagine a God with feminine characteristics? I invite you this morning to receive communion in a new way. And maybe that is to pray for God to open your eyes and your heart and your spirit to more fullness of life in relationship with God. Or maybe it is to imagine the feminine characteristics of God in breaking the bread and serving you this day. Maybe it is to see God reflected in the people around you, to really see God embodied in them. Maybe it is to come forward with with more intention, more presence than you have before, to be in the moment of taking in God's absolute love and grace for you. Whatever it is, I pray that you will come to this table with a willing spirit to expand your God box, to allow God to be more than God has ever been for you.
It's a matter of life and love and grace. The fuller God is for us, the more fullness of life we receive and experience, and the greater God's reign of love on earth becomes. Thanks be to Mother, Father, Creator God. Amen.